Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. We tend to think about how God redeems people, and we should. Does he want to also redeem systems, structures? Well, the Bible in Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Yes, we're called to bring the hope of the gospel to the least and the lost. But we're also compelled as Christians to bring that same redeeming power to systems and structures of injustice that hold our brothers and sisters back. Welcome again to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe as we again seek to help you think well and advance good on a very important topic. Today we're going to be getting into a conversation that's been a conversation rumbling over the last year, and we wanted to address it this year at our Culture Summit. And we did. We invited Heather Rice Mina. She's a Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Church Mobilization at Prison Fellowship, which is the nation's largest Christian nonprofit serving prisoners, former prisoners, and their families. And the reason we invited her and someone from Prison Fellowship is we believe so much in the work that they're doing because they're not only trying to reform the systemic change, but they're also trying to address redemption and renewal amongst people who have suffered injustice. Yeah, and we don't always find that in an organization. And we look forward to hearing from Heather in just a few minutes. But Gabe, while the topic may seem more top of mind in this last year, especially since the death of George Floyd, you and the Q community have been thinking about this for a long time. Just a few years ago at a national Q conference, we heard from Brian Stevenson. He's the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he's been advocating for reforms in our justice system for quite a while. He wrote a best-selling book called Just Mercy, which was made into a a movie and if you've never seen it yeah you can stream it on hulu if you're a subscriber to that platform well again brian spoke to the q community about the imbalances in our justice system let's listen to just a portion of his talk the united states now has the highest rate of incarceration in the world we have over six million people on probation and parole. One out of three black men between the ages of 18 and 30 is in jail, in prison, on probation, or parole. There are poor and urban communities where over half of the young men of color are under control of the criminal justice system. There are collateral consequences 
uh, with mass incarceration. In 1996, the Congress passed the Welfare Reform Act, and one of the provisions in that act is that if you've been convicted of a drug crime, you are not permitted to get food stamps or live in public housing or access basic medical care. And in our lifetime, we have created, in my view, this new class of person in American society. They are our untouchables. Well, it's not just the way we deal with uh, that population. It has collateral consequences in other areas. Uh, voting. Uh, many states permanently disenfranchise you if you have a criminal conviction. My state of Alabama, where I work, uh, today 35% of the black male population has permanently uh, lost the right to vote. We're actually projecting in the next 10 years the level of disenfranchisement among African-American men in some communities will actually be higher than it was prior to the passage of the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s. And there is this appalling silence around these issues. Not, on, we, not only do we put more people in jails and prisons, we also punish much more harshly. And I believe we actually punish less justly, less fairly, less reliably. We have a criminal justice system in this country, like many of our systems, that is compromised by one underlying reality, and that's wealth. Our, our system treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. If you don't have the resources to defend yourself, if you don't have the resources to make the investigation, if you don't have the resources to make the case, things don't go so well. And that would be bad in and of itself, but we also have this growing population of poor people in this country. Now, today, 44 million people are living below the federal poverty level. That's actually more than it's been in 50 years. And poverty increases your vulnerability in a society that is engaging in mass incarceration. Again, that was Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative from a few years ago at a Q conference. No question, there are problems in our justice system. But does the gospel call us to help reform and transform systems as much as we do individual lives? That's the position of Heather Rice Minus and Prison Fellowship. Gabe, before we get to Heather's talk, again, remind us about the origins of Prison Fellowship. Chuck Colson helped found this many, many years ago, decades ago, who was a mentor of mine. And after he had a radical transformation of becoming a Christian and coming back to Jesus after the Nixon years, he ultimately founded this organization after his time in prison to say, I want to help those who are in prison. And what I love about what you're about to hear is a conversation around what does it mean to redeem systems and people? We hear about systemic racism. We hear about systemic injustice. But what does that mean? And what does it look like for us as Christians to think well about that? So I hope as you listen in now to Heather Rice Minus, it will challenge you and also encourage you as you think about what this is going to look like in your world. Can God redeem all people? If you're like me, maybe you've been raised in the church. The answer to that question is a no-brainer. We know that God made us in his own image, and no life is beyond God's redemptive reach. But in practicality, do we as Christians live that way? Do we believe that all people can be redeemed, or does sometimes that pesky sin of pride sneak in telling us that some 
Good people have earned it, and some bad people are beyond it. Do we think that God can redeem when we hear on the nightly news that someone, a young person, has hijacked a car in the neighborhood just adjacent to our own, no less? What about when you get a call about your cousin, you know, the one with the drug problem, and she's back in jail, not the first, not the second, but the fourth time, and this time it's for dealing. And what about someone who takes another innocent life? Is our gospel that big? Does redemption reach that far? As a leader at Prison Fellowship, it's been one of my greatest privileges to see the power of redemption take hold in the lives of some the world would consider the most hopeless and undeserving, perhaps people like Chuck Colson. And even though I sometimes feel inadequate to share such powerful stories of transformation because I haven't walked in their shoes, I'm reminded about how their testimonies have expanded my understanding of the gospel, and I want to offer that same opportunity to you today. Maybe you've never thought twice about people in prison, or maybe you're like me, you're one of the one in two Americans who has a family member who's experienced incarceration. Either way, I want us to talk today about how people who are impacted by crime and incarceration can expand our understanding of redemption and how we as Christians can take action to respond. The Bible is chock full of stories proving that God can redeem anyone, including those who have committed serious crimes, dare I say violent crimes. Think of Moses. He was a murderer, but yet God used him to lead his people to the promised land. What about David, an adulterer? He conspired to kill an innocent man, but that's not how we remember him, is it? No, because God used him, and now we know him as a man after God's own heart. And if we page over into the New Testament, we'll find Zacchaeus, Bible story poster child of white-collar crime, if you will. And much to the dismay of many of Jesus' followers, he got the opportunity to offer Jesus himself hospitality. And we can't forget Paul, a persecutor of Christians. He approved and watched as Stephen was stoned to death. But God redeemed. God used him to become one of the most influential leaders in the early Christian church. And at Prison Fellowship, we see the same evidence of God redeeming people who have committed crimes and are in prison today. I wanna tell you about Quavadis Marshall. At just 19 years old, Quavadis robbed a convenience store and he found himself facing 10 years in prison. But it was in that deep, dark place called prison that he actually found new hope and new life. And he found it in the form of the Prison Fellowship Academy, a biblically-based, holistic program we offer to men and women in prison. And he says that it's the academy that taught him to live as a man of integrity. And as volunteers from a local congregation were coming into that prison, mentoring him, coming alongside him, volunteers from that same local organization, that same local church, they were coming alongside his family, his future wife, his then five-year-old daughter. And they were doing that through Prison Fellowship's Angel Tree program. And when Quavadis was finally released home, 
he joined that same congregation because he couldn't imagine going anywhere but the church that had loved him and his family so well. Quavadis left that church to become a church planner. Today, he is the lead pastor of Hope City Church, a thriving congregation in Iowa that he founded with his wife, Angela, and now they have two beautiful kids. Today, there are also over 100 prison fellowship academies across the country, sites that reach people like Quavadis, just as he experienced it. And many of our prison fellowship academies are led by my colleagues who are formerly incarcerated themselves. Hebrews 13.3, it says, Remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Do you find that last part of the verse a little easier to comprehend? Remember those who are mistreated. We picture those who are persecuted, those who are victims, those who are oppressed, and we almost instantly feel empathy. But mysteriously, the verse starts with remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. Can can you try that for just a moment? Picture yourself in a cell that's a little hard for some of us to fathom. And most people in prison, of course, are there for their own wrongdoing. And some have committed great and irreparable harm. And yet, the gospel invites us in to this incomprehensible understanding of redemption Did you know that scripture references imprisonment over 5,000 times? It's used both literally and figuratively, often as a picture of freedom from spiritual bondage. Because we all have chains that redemption needs to break, don't we? Redemption reaches far enough for me, thank the Lord, for you, for the victim, for the prisoner, for the oppressed, for the oppressor who are sometimes not mutually exclusive. But guess what? Redemption doesn't stop there. We tend to think about how God redeems people, and we should. But the next question I want to focus on is, does God go further than that in Scripture? Does he want to also redeem systems, structures, Well, the Bible in Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Proverbs 31.9, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Yes, we're called to bring the hope of the gospel to the least and the lost. But we're also compelled as Christians to bring that same redeeming power to systems and structures of injustice that hold our brothers and sisters back. This week, we we heard the news of the verdict. And many of us were brought back to that very moment where we watched as George Floyd's killing happened right before our very eyes. For many Christians, it was a call to action, whether acknowledging centuries-old racial inequality from the pulpit, calls to prayer, calls to action. Many of us are trying to find ways to pursue a just society, one that actually addresses the stark racial imbalances that exist at every point in our criminal justice system. The National Institute of Health and the Sentencing Project 
have research published that shows that black Americans are more likely to be arrested for drug crime, even though drug use and drug trafficking rates are roughly equal across races. Additionally, the U.S. Sentencing Commission finds that black male defendants are much more likely to receive a harsher sentence, much less likely to receive a plea deal than similar non-black defendants. And of course, these disparities, they have a ripple effect. They don't just affect the individual, they affect the family, they affect children. One in 27 children in this country have a parent incarcerated. But that goes down to just one in nine when we're talking about black children. Matthew Charles, he spent decades caught in the disparities of the justice system. Arrested in 1995 for selling crack cocaine, at the time a drug more, prevent, more used in black communities, he got a 35-year sentence in federal prison. But not long after his arrest, another man in prison offered him a Bible, and he read it cover to cover. He committed his life to Christ, and he said, from that point on, my life just dramatically changed for the better. But while Matthew had this personal transformation, the system that imprisoned him, it was slow to change. The disparate sentencing that gave him and mandated a higher prison term for crack than powdered cocaine kept Matthew in prison for decades for a nonviolent crime. But on January 3rd, 2019, Matthew Charles finally came home here to Tennessee. He became one of the first people set free by the First Step Act, legislation that Prison Fellowship helped craft and push along with an extraordinary bipartisan coalition. But when he got home, Matthew couldn't find anywhere to live. Why? No one would rent to him because of his criminal record. This caught the attention of a celebrity. She helped, she helped him and intervened. But you know what? Celebrity intervention isn't something that's available to 600,000 people who are coming home from jail and prison every year. That's right. They're coming home. 95% of people in jail or prison will return. They'll be our neighbors. And that's why Prison Fellowship, our mission to restore those who are impacted by crime and incarceration, it's not just for ministry to people behind bars, but it's also compelled us to advocate for justice reforms that advance proportional punishment, constructive corrections culture, and second chances for people like Matthew who have paid their debt. Because yes, we should visit the prisoner as we are called to do in Matthew 25, but should we also ask ourselves whether it's just they're there in the first place or for so long? And yes, we should tell men and women who are in prison that all things are possible through Christ. But we should be just as passionate, not complacent, about a system that holds them back upon release. 44,000. Did you know there are 44,000 legal barriers that prevent people with a criminal record from accessing employment, housing, and other opportunities? It's why five years ago, Prison Fellowship launched Celebrating April as Second Chance Month to raise awareness about this. And one by one, we're trying to eliminate these collateral consequences of a criminal conviction so that people can live out a second chance. Sometimes these barriers are actually applicable to trades that we've taught people in prison. For example, in California, we worked on legislation that would remove 
licensing barriers for people who had been trained and actually served as firefighters while incarcerated for, for very little pay so that they could actually join the profession upon release. You see, when we can replace barriers like this that are automatic with individualized review about the person and, and the opportunity at hand, we have the opportunity to offer second chances. And we have a God of second chances, don't we? And when we offer second chances, it's actually an opportunity for everyone because it means that person can provide for their family. It means they won't return to a life of crime. And it means they, they may be able to reach their God-given potential. You see, the changes we need to make to affect and restore those who are impacted by crime and incarceration, they're, they're, not, they're not abstract, they're actually readily within our grasp. And just like we were talking about yesterday, young believers, they are hungry for a local congregation who will practice what they preach, who will demonstrate that they are for things not just against things, that they are for things that impact our brothers and sisters of color. And so two opportunities I want to offer you so that you can see the work of redemption at hand for individuals and for systems, two action steps to consider. First, just like the church that came alongside Quavadis and his family, would you consider becoming part of Prison Fellowship's Angel Tree program? for families who are impacted by crime and incarceration. These are likely families who are sitting right in your pews, whether they talk about it or not. And second, like the Christians who stepped up and advocated for the first step back so that Matthew Charles could come home, we can educate ourselves and mobilize to address the criminal justice system. And you can do that today with our advocacy platform in just one minute, actually. Simply text PF Justice to 52886. PF Justice to 52886. That's going to give you the opportunity to contact your lawmakers about the Equal Act, not to be confused with the Equality Act. The Equal Act is legislation that will actually eliminate the barrier, the disparity between crack and powder cocaine and how we punish it, and will help more people like Matthew get a proportional sentence. I want to leave you all with this. Our calling as Christians is not only to bring the hope of the gospel to every person, including those the world would consider the most hopeless and undeserving. Our calling as Christians is also to bring the gospel's values to bear on systems and structures of inequality. And it's really not a new calling, is it? It's just a fuller realization of God's limitless redemptive power power that can reach to every soul and every system. Again, you're listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lines for this weekend. And Gabe, a great talk there from Heather Rice Minus, a prison fellowship offering a vision of the gospel's place in transforming systems, including our criminal justice system. I love how she said, yes, we should visit the prisoner as we're called to do in Matthew 25. But should we also ask ourselves whether it's just that they're even here in the first place or for so long? These are the kind of difficult questions we must grapple with. Our culture's grappling with it. 
Where are we as Christians as we come into these conversations? And how do we think well about this from a gospel perspective? We've partnered with Prison Fellowship to announce to you today that you have an opportunity to learn alongside them. Outrageous justice. They've got a free copy of this where you can learn about it. Right. And if you want a copy of this document, Outrageous Justice, visit prisonfellowship.org slash outrageousjustice. It's a great resource to help you to continue to think well about this important topic of criminal justice reform. Gabe, we hope this is something that'll help our listeners engage with others around this topic. Um, And I also want to encourage you, the kind of conversations we were just having, those are the conversations we're having at Q Ideas every day through the collaborative. It's launching in September. It's going to be your opportunity to be a part of a learning community and a cohort that's going to take seriously all of the many current issues that we're wrestling with as leaders, but doing it within a safe setting, a group where you can talk and share your opinions and ask the questions. There will be no topic off limits as we engage in new relationships and friendships, but oriented around what does it mean for us to think well in this culture. It's going to be an eight-month journey starting in September all the way through the end of April when we host our Culture Summit here in Nashville. And you're going to be able to join with us every other week live and and being a part of a virtual environment. We're also going to have in-person opportunities to meet up. We're creating a, a beautiful library of books and resources and articles and podcasts and things that we're going to be listening to and learning about in the months ahead. I know everybody's busy. I know this takes the kind of investment that's both financial but also of time. But I want to say, I think this kind of learning journey for the moment we're in is in some ways just priceless. It's worth your time. It's going to make up its value in the time that you commit to it by helping you stay on the front edge of where the world's going and what it might mean for us as Christians to try to lead in that environment and to practice faithfulness. And so I hope you'll join with us and join with me and so many others that are going to be a part of this from Roberta Amundsen, John Mark Comer, my wife, Rebecca Lyons. Also, we have uh, many different leaders like Andy Crouch and Preston Sprinkle and Trillian Newbell and Rachel Gilson and, and so many others who are thinking well about a variety of different topics. But we're going to bring them together, just like you're used to at the Q Culture Summit, where we bring together panels, you hear what they're thinking, you have some time to talk about it, but you have to move on. In this setting, we're not going to have to move on. We're going to get to wrestle with these ideas. And so I hope you'll join us. Go to qideas.org slash cohort. And when you go there, you can learn more about it. You can see the calendar of all of these different sessions, how it's going to function. You're welcome to join us in Franklin, September 30th for our kickoff, or you can join us virtually. Either way, we'd love to have you be a part of this community year round. So not only listening to this podcast, but then engaging with us so that we're thinking well as every week goes forward. So learn more at qideas.org slash cohort. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.